Chapter Twenty Two of The Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kit Carson was astonished on reaching Bent's Fort to learn that Lieutenant Fremont had gone by on his second exploring expedition but a few days before. Carson felt a strong attachment for his old leader and galloped nearly a hundred miles to overtake him. Fremont gave the mountaineer his most cordial greeting and insisted so strongly on his accompanying him that Carson could not refuse. The object of Fremont's second exploration was to connect the survey of the previous year with those of Commander Wilkes on the Pacific coast. The first objective point was the Great Salt Lake of Utah, of which very little was known at that time. Carson was sent back to the fort to procure a number of mules. He did as directed, and rejoined Fremont at St. Vrain's Fort. The region traversed by these explorers is so well known today that it is hard to realize what a terra incognita it was but a short time since. Perhaps it would be most instructive at this point to quote the words of the great pathfinder himself. The party arrived on the 21st of August on the Bear River, one of the principal tributaries of Great Salt Lake. The narrative of Fremont proceeds... We are now entering a region which for us possessed a strange and extraordinary interest. We were upon the waters of the famous lake which forms a salient point among the remarkable geographical features of the country, and around which the vague and superstitious accounts of the trappers had thrown a delightful obscurity, which we anticipated pleasure in dispelling, but which, in the meantime, left a crowded field for the exercise of our imagination. In our occasional conversations with the few old hunters who had visited the region, it had been a subject of frequent speculation, and the wonders which they related were not the less agreeable because they were highly exaggerated and impossible. Hitherto, this lake had been seen only by trappers who were wandering through the country in search of new beaver streams, caring very little for geography. Its islands had never been visited and none were to be found who had entirely made the circuit of its shores, and no instrumental observations or geographical survey of any description had ever been made anywhere in the neighboring region. It was generally supposed that it had no visible outlet, but among the trappers, including those in my own camp, were many who believed that somewhere on its surface was a terrible whirlpool, through which its waters found their way to the ocean by some subterranean communication. All these things had been made a frequent subject of discussion in our desultory conversations around the fires at night, and my own mind had become tolerably well filled with their indefinite pictures, and insensibly colored with their romantic descriptions, which in the pleasure of excitement I was well disposed to believe, and half expected to realize. In about six miles' travel from our encampment we reached one of the points in our journey to which we had always looked forward with great interest the famous beer springs, which, on account of the effervescing gas and acid taste, had received their name from the voyagers and trappers of the country, who, in the midst of their rude and hard lives, are fond of finding some fancied resemblance to the luxuries they rarely have the good fortune to enjoy. Although somewhat disappointed in the expectations, which various descriptions had led me to form of unusual beauty of situation and scenery, I found it altogether a place of very great interest, and a traveller for the first time in a volcanic region remains in a constant excitement, 
and at every step is arrested by something remarkable and new. There is a confusion of interesting objects gathered together in a small space. Around the place of encampment the beer springs were numerous, but, as far as we could ascertain, were entirely confined to that locality in the bottom. In the bed of the river in front, for a space of several hundred yards, they were very abundant, the effervescing gas rising up and agitating the water in countless bubbling columns. In the vicinity round about were numerous springs of an entirely different and equally marked mineral character. In a rather picturesque spot, about thirteen hundred yards below our encampment, and immediately on the river bank, is the most remarkable spring of the place. In an opening on the rock, a white column of scattered water is thrown up, in form like a jet d'eau, to a variable height of about three feet, and though it is maintained in a constant supply, its great height is attained only at regular intervals, according to the action of the force below. It is accompanied by a subterranean noise, which, together with the motion of the water, makes very much the impression of a steamboat in motion. And without knowing that it had been already previously so called, we gave to it the name of the Steamboat Spring. The rock through which it is forced is slightly raised in a convex manner, and gathered at the opening into an urn-mouthed form, and is evidently formed by continued deposition from the water and colored bright red by oxide of iron. It is a hot spring, and the water has a pungent, disagreeable metallic taste, leaving a burning effect upon the tongue. Within perhaps two yards of the jet d'eau is a small hole of about an inch in diameter, through which, at regular intervals, escapes a blast of hot air with a light wreath of smoke, accompanied by a regular noise. As they approached the lake, they passed over a country of bold and striking scenery, and through several gates, as they called certain narrow valleys. The standing rock is a huge column, occupying the center of one of these passes. It fell from a height of perhaps three thousand feet, and happened to remain in its present upright position. At last, on the 6th of September, the object for which their eyes had been long straining was brought to view. September 6th this time we reached the butte without any difficulty, and ascending to the summit, immediately at our feet beheld the object of our anxious search, the waters of the inland sea, stretching in still and solitary grandeur, far beyond the limit of our vision. It was one of the great points of the exploration, and as we looked eagerly over the lake in the first emotions of excited pleasure, I am doubtful if the followers of Balboa felt more enthusiasm when from the heights of the Andes they saw for the first time the great western ocean. It was certainly a magnificent object, and a noble terminus, to this part of our expedition. And to travellers so long shut up among mountain ranges, a sudden view over the expanse of silent waters had in it something sublime. Several large islands raised their high rocky heads out of the waves. But whether or not they were timbered, was still left to our imagination, as the distance was too great to determine if the dark hues upon them were woodland or naked rock. During the day the clouds had been gathering black over the mountains to the westward, and while we were looking a storm burst down with sudden fury upon the lake, and entirely hid the islands from our view. On the edge of the stream a favorable spot was selected in a grove, 
and felling the timber we made a strong corral or horse-pen for the animals and a little fort for the people who were to remain we were now probably in the country of the utah indians though none reside upon the lake the india rubber boat was repaired with prepared cloth and gum and filled with air in readiness for the next day the provisions which carson had brought with him being now exhausted and our stock reduced to a small quantity of roots i determined to retain with me only a sufficient number of men for the execution of our design and accordingly seven were sent back to fort hall under the guidance of francois la jeunesse who having been for many years a trapper in the country was an experienced mountaineer we formed now but a small family with mr Pruce and myself carson bernier and basil la jeunesse had been selected for the boat expedition the first ever attempted on this interior sea and badois and derosier and jacob the colored man were to be left in charge of the camp we were favored with most delightful weather to-night there was a brilliant sunset of golden orange and green which left the western sky clear and beautifully pure but clouds in the east made me lose an oculation the summer frogs were singing around us and the evening was very pleasant with a temperature of sixty degrees a night of a more southern autumn for our supper we had yampak the most agreeably flavored of the roots seasoned by a small fat duck which had come in the way of jacob's rifle around our fire to-night were many speculations on what to-morrow would bring forth and in our busy conjectures we fancied that we should find every one of the large islands a tangled wilderness of trees and shrubbery teeming with game of every description that the neighboring region afforded and which the foot of a white man or indian had never violated frequently during the day clouds had rested on the summits of their lofty mountains and we believed that we should find clear streams and springs of fresh water and we indulged in anticipations of the luxurious repasts with which we were to indemnify ourselves for past privations neither in our discussions were the whirlpool and other mysterious dangers forgotten which indian and hunter stories attributed to this unexplored lake the men had discovered that instead of being strongly sowed like that of the preceding year which had so triumphantly rode the cannons of the upper great platte our present boat was only pasted together in a very insecure manner the maker having been allowed so little time in the construction that he was obliged to crowd the labor of two months into several days the insecurity of the boat was sensibly felt by us and mingled with the enthusiasm and excitement that we all felt at the prospect of an undertaking which had never before been accomplished was a certain impression of danger sufficient to give a serious character to our conversation the momentary view which had been had of the lake the day before its great extent and rugged islands dimly seen amidst the dark waters in the obscurity of the sudden storm were well calculated to heighten the idea of undefined danger with which the lake was generally associated september eighth a calm clear day with a sunrise temperature of forty one degrees in view of our present enterprise a part of the equipment of the boat had been made to consist of three air-tight bags about three feet long and capable each of containing five gallons these had been filled with water the night before 
and were now placed in the boat, with our blankets and instruments, consisting of a sextant, telescope, spy-glass, thermometer, and barometer. In the course of the morning we discovered that two of the cylinders leaked so much as to require one man constantly at the bellows, to keep them sufficiently full of air to support the boat. Although we had made a very early start, we loitered so much on the way, stopping every now and then, and floating silently along to get a shot at a goose or a duck, that it was late in the day when we reached the outlet. The river here divided into several branches, filled with fluvials, and so very shallow that it was with difficulty we could get the boat along, being obliged to get out and wade. We encamped on a low point among rushes and young willows, where there was a quantity of driftwood which served for our fires. The evening was mild and clear. We made a pleasant bed of the young willows, and geese and ducks enough had been killed for an abundant supper at night and for breakfast next morning. The stillness of the night was enlivened by millions of waterfowl. September ninth, The day was clear and calm. The thermometer at sunrise was forty-nine degrees. As is usual with the trappers on the eve of any enterprise, our people had made dreams, and theirs happened to be a bad one, one which always preceded evil, and consequently they looked very gloomy this morning. But we hurried through our breakfast in order to make an early start, and have all the day before us for our adventure. The channel, in a short distance, became so shallow that our navigation was at an end, being merely a sheet of soft mud, with a few inches of water, and sometimes none at all, forming the low water shore of the lake. All this place was absolutely covered with flocks of screaming plover. We took off our clothes, and getting overboard, commenced dragging the boat, making by this operation a very curious trail, and a very disagreeable smell, in stirring up the mud, as we sank above the knee at every step. The water here was still fresh, with only an insipid and disagreeable taste, probably derived from the bed of fetid mud. After proceeding in this way about a mile, we came to a small black ridge on the bottom, beyond which the water became suddenly salt, beginning gradually to deepen, and the bottom was sandy and firm. It was a remarkable division, separating the fresh water of the rivers from the briny water of the lake, which was entirely saturated with common salt. Pushing our little vessel across the narrow boundary, we sprang on board, and at length were afloat on the waters of the unknown sea. We did not steer for the mountainous islands, but directed our course towards a lower one, which it had been decided we should first visit, the summit of which was formed like the crater at the upper end of Bear River Valley. So long as we could touch the bottom with our paddles, we were very gay. But gradually, as the water deepened, we became more still, and our frail bateau of gum-cloth distended with air and with pasted seams. Although the day was very calm, there was a considerable swell on the lake, and there were white patches of foam on the surface, which were slowly moving to the southward, indicating the set of a current in that direction, and recalling the recollection of the whirlpool stories. The water continued to deepen as we advanced, the lake becoming almost transparently clear, of an extremely beautiful bright green color and the spray which was thrown into the boat and over our clothes was directly converted into a crust of common salt, 
which covered also our hands and arms. Captain, said Carson, who for some time had been looking suspiciously at some whitening appearances outside the nearest islands. What are those yonder? Won't you just take a look with the glass? We ceased paddling for a moment, and found them to be the caps of the waves that were beginning to break under the force of a strong breeze that was coming up the lake. The form of the boat seemed to be an admirable one, and it rode on the waves like a water-bird, but at the same time it was extremely slow in its progress. When we were a little more than halfway across the reach, two of the divisions between the cylinders gave way and it required the constant use of the bellows to keep in a sufficient quantity of air. For a long time we scarcely seemed to approach our island, but gradually we worked across the rougher sea of the open channel into the smoother water under the lee of the island, and began to discover that what we took for a long row of pelicans ranged on the beach were only low cliffs whitened with salt by the spray of the waves. And about noon we reached the shore, the transparency of the water enabling us to see the bottom at a considerable depth. The cliffs and masses of rock along the shore were whitened by an incrustation of salt where the waves dashed up against them, and the evaporating water, which had been left in holes and hollows on the surface of the rocks, was covered with a crust of salt about one-eighth of an inch in thickness. Carrying with us the barometer and other instruments, in the afternoon we ascended to the highest point of the island a bare, rocky peak, eight hundred feet above the lake. Standing on the summit, we enjoyed an extended view of the lake, enclosed in a basin of rugged mountains, which sometimes left marshy flats and extensive bottoms between them and the shore, and in other places came directly down into the water with bold and precipitous bluffs. As we looked over the vast expanse of water spread out beneath us, and strained our eyes along the silent shores over which hung so much doubt and uncertainty, and which were so full of interest to us, I could hardly repress the almost irresistible desire to continue our exploration. But the lengthening snow on the mountains was a plain indication of the advancing season, and our frail linen boat appeared so insecure that I was unwilling to trust our lives to the uncertainties of the lake. I therefore unwillingly resolved to terminate our survey here, and remain satisfied for the present with what we had been able to add to the unknown geography of the region. We felt pleasure also in remembering that we were the first, who in the traditionary annals of the country had visited the islands, and broken, with the cheerful sound of human voices, the long solitude of the place. I accidentally left on the summit the brass cover to the object end of my spy-glass, and as it will probably remain there undisturbed by Indians, it will furnish matter of speculation to some future traveller. In our excursions about the island we did not meet with any kind of animal, a magpie, and another larger bird, probably attracted by the smoke of our fire, paid us a visit from the shore, and were the only living thing seen during our stay. The rock, constituting the cliffs along the shore, where we were encamped, is a talcus rock, or steatite, with brown spar. At sunset the temperature was seventy degrees. We had arrived just in time to obtain a meridian altitude of the sun, and other observations were obtained this evening, which placed our camp in latitude 41 degrees, 10 minutes, 42 seconds, and longitude 
112 degrees, 21 minutes, 5 seconds, from Greenwich. From a discussion of the barometrical observations made during our stay on the shores of the lake, we have adopted 4,200 feet for its elevation above the Gulf of Mexico. In the first disappointment we felt from the dissipation of our dreams of the fertile islands, I call this Disappointment Island. Out of the driftwood we made ourselves pleasant little lodges, open to the water, and after having kindled large fires to excite the wonder of any straggling savage on the lake shores, lay down, for the first time in a long journey, in perfect security, no one thinking about his arms. The evening was extremely bright and pleasant, but the wind rose during the night, and the waves began to break heavily on the shore, making our island tremble. I had not expected in our inland journey to hear the roar of an ocean surf, and the strangeness of our situation, and the excitement we felt in the associated interests of the place, made this one of the most interesting nights I remember during our long expedition. In the morning the surf was breaking heavily on the shore, and we were up early. The lake was dark and agitated, and we hurried through our scanty breakfast and embarked having first filled one of the buckets with water, from which it was intended to make salt. The sun had risen by the time we were ready to start, and it was blowing a strong gale of wind, almost directly off the shore, and raising a considerable sea, in which our boat strained very much. It roughened as we got away from the island, and it required all the efforts of the men to make any head against the wind and sea. The gale, rising with the sun, and there was danger of being blown into one of the open reaches beyond the island. At the distance of half a mile from the beach, the depth of water was sixteen feet, with a clay bottom. But as the working of the boat was very severe labor, and during the operation of sounding it was necessary to cease paddling, during which the boat lost considerable way, I was unwilling to discourage the men, and reluctantly gave up my intention of ascertaining the depth and character of the bed. There was a general shout in the boat when we found ourselves in one fathom, and we soon after landed on a low point of mud, where we unloaded the boat and carried the baggage to firmer ground. End of chapter 22